he needs to hire like a Bill Burr type of guy that's gonna bust his balls every time he picks up something that's not good for him. You condoning he needs bullying? Somebody, seriously. You condoning bullying pro? Yes, I'm condoning bullying for him, <laughs> for sure. Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is the basketball series. Myself, Andrew Bogut, and our good friend Mike Procopio are coming live from Dallas, Texas. What's going on? Oh, and Trent, by the way. And oh, Trent. Trent. Yeah, sorry. Just, Trent. Just, Trent, we yeah. can't forget Trent for, for good old pro. I mean, kudos to Trent. Couple of things. <laughs> you look fantastic with that video. You look like you're in a fucking Tarantino movie, you know, on the opening here. So that clear image of you is ridiculous. And you go viral every week now with these uh, social media <laughs> posts. So, man, I got to give it a Trent. You're, you're really killing it. I have no idea how you're doing it, who he's paying off. Uh, but, hey, I got I to gotta give it to you. You're on the uh, Scalabrini podcast, Scalabrini and Frank Isola on Sirius Radio when you're going off on Doc. It's unbelievable. We do going half the shows Doc? and now you go. V- you mean Pop? Not Doc, not Doc, Pop. Yeah. A- we're on half the time and you go viral twice the time. I don't, I don't understand it. It's yeah, see, strategy, uh, baby. It's see, the shit you get yeah, for the, the two weeks know. has worked. It gives, it's, it gives time to marinate over the, over the couple of weeks. You know, we put the pot out, it gives two weeks of talking points. It's a genius pro admit mm-hmm. you were wrong. Um, <laughs> and by the way, you, you uh, both might be on OKC's hit list. Uh, don't think they were too appreciative of, of, uh, insinuating that they potentially knew about the issue with Josh Giddy. So, I don't know why we're on this list. Here's a couple of reasons why. First of all, this show is your show. And like everything's about guilty by your association. Show. And second, yeah, that's true. And second of all, I would I was I plead the fifth on that one. I didn't say anything about it because I had no intel. You're the uh you're the woge of the group. You got all the intel. I don't really have any intel anymore. So well, you know, I just was, that I'm was league wide. That was a murmur league wide from numerous people in the U.S., including some pretty high profile journalists over there. But they're not too happy because you know OKC run a tight ship. They don't want to have people think there's cracks in that thing. So anyway, we might be on yeah. the hit list. Let's let's get on with it. Team of the week. Mm-hmm. Who you got this week for us? Minnesota Timberwolves, Bugs. They're killing it. They are killing it. Um, nine and one out of their last ten. Those guys are doing a great job. I. You know, they're really pl- clicking well together. I didn't think they were going to be this good this quick. And not, not that they're, the, you know, they're not like the 90, the 97 Bulls by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they're just playing really well. They're clicking. You know, I didn't think that Townsend Gobert thing was going to work too well. They're, they're really doing well. Anthony Edwards, you know, Towns is doing it. Gobert's doing it. Their bench is playing well. Uh, yeah, I thought they were playing well. It's, been, it's a hard week to pick a uh, clear winner. Uh, Minnesota definitely up there, but it was very even two weeks in the league, which was good to see. You know, there's not a lot of long mm-hmm. – there's, there's some losing streaks, which we'll get onto shortly, but I think the longest winning streak is, is Minnesota with six, but beyond that, I think the next one's three. So it's been right. a very even and balanced uh, season so far. It's been fun to watch. But I went with Cleveland um, just because we gave it to – I gave it to, we gave it to Minnesota last week. I think Cleveland yep. were out of the ten for you know three or four weeks ago. They were they were out of the plane. They were playing pretty poorly, yep. and they've seemed to found they seem to find some form. Uh, they're seven and three in their last ten, so they're playing some good ball, some decent wins too. They beat Miami a little bit injury riddled, but they, Miami's a tough beat even when they're hurt. They beat Orlando, mm-hmm. Detroit was in that mix, Atlanta and Toronto. So some pretty good teams in there. And even before that, the week before, they, they, they beat Denver and, and Philly. So 
they're playing some good basketball and, and I had them in the four um, initially with my, my season prediction just because I thought another season with Mitchell, another season of those young guys getting better and seems like they're starting to pull it together a little bit. They're in six currently in the East and I see them staying in that six. I think they should be good enough to to keep balance. But um, yeah, it was a tough it was a tough week, I think, in the league to pick it outright besides obviously the obvious one, which was Minnesota. Bogues, would you have would you have Cleveland in your sort of preseason deal? I know you said I think you had, I had them. them four. I'm pretty sure. I think I, I had the, the obvious. I had them four as well. The obvious first three, which was Boston, Milwaukee, and who was the other one? Um, Philly. Philly. Yep. And then I had I had Cleveland mm-hmm. the four, just because you'd think that they they'd put it together, but they started off horrifically, um, and it was real clunky. And there's going to be the murmurs again if Mitchell st- wants to stay there long term and all that kind of stuff. Small market, you know. There's always rumblings that he wants to get to New York City and back down the the, the far east coast. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been interesting as far as that goes. All right, uh, our week team of the period. Uh, I can't go past the Spurs and the Pistons, bro. It, it's it's hard. We kind of last year we said, you know, after a couple of month or two of the podcast, we're not going to. No one below the plane can be team of the week just because they're so bad. But I mean, the, the Spurs lost 16 straight. Detroit lost 19 straight. I mean, combined 35 straight losses for those two teams. <laughs> You know, it's it's mm. horrific, and, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. I mean, they just look awful. These younger teams, you know, the Spurs, one thing, because they're not uber young, and, and obviously they're rebuilding with, with Wemby, but the Spurs, I mean, the Pistons have some okay pieces, and they're young. They should have some nights, just energy-wise, where you steal a win against the, I don't know, a Boston or a or a Denver or one of these teams that just cruises in, you know how that happens in the league every now and then to, to not get one out of 19 against one of these teams is pretty horrendous. So I can't go past those two shout out to the Washington wizards as well. They're awfully bad. <laughs> they're not, they've lost four straight mm. and they're three and 18. Um, you know, it's just those, those three teams are just the armpit. At least, you know, you look at Portland, you look at Memphis, even the Utah jazz, uh, Charlotte Hornets, even the Bulls have won four straight as of current. At least they're somewhat, you know, try for the most part. Those three teams are just, you know, they should get relegated. If this was like an English Premier League soccer, should chuck them in the G League next season. Yeah, Bogues, both of those teams are pretty bad. Um, you know, Detroit, the, the problem with Detroit, and, you know, Bogdanovich was hurt most of the year. He's just got back. And then their they're young guys are okay. But then you got Jaden Ivey, who they drafted pretty high last year. Who they don't even start anymore, so it's a it's an interesting deal how how they're running their you know their their team and, and what they have. They don't look; they're just going to rely on draft picks the next few years. They you know, Cade Cunningham's been playing well; he's been shooting the ball much better, um, but they don't really have that. Besides Cunningham, Bagdanovich is that good vet, but you know they're sort of all over the place with their with their rotation and and, and what they have for talent on their team. The Spurs are the Spurs. Like, you know, the thing is, there's no, I don't think there's any victor in this year's draft. So, you know, I don't know about tanking. Like, the guys that will be in the top two or top three are good players, but I don't see any, like, tr- you know, transfer, you know, a player that could really transform your team, transform your team. So, both of those teams are really bad as far as how they're playing. I thought Detroit would win about twenty-five to twenty-seven. I think I had them twelfth in the East, and then I had I had San Antonio winning twenty-one games all year. It's it's rough, man. It's a rough deal. And to your point with the draft, I caught up with a 
just randomly caught up with a few NBA scouts in my journeys over the last couple of weeks. I uh, went, went out to mm-hmm. Perth and watched a game there, and um, they mentioned exactly what you did. They they said the numerous scouts that I spoke to, they're obviously out in Australia looking at Tui and Saar and all these kind of guys. Yeah. They, they said the same thing. They said it's a very consistently good draft, but there's yeah. no there's no clear outliner kind of franchise changer according to a lot of these scouts. So that makes things interesting. Um to see, you know, who gets a steal, who doesn't, who's a clear-cut number one. I mean, Saar, playing for the Perth Wildcats, is, is projected number two, and he's a fantastic player, but probably not mm. ready to jump straight into a huge role in the NBA from get-go. So it will be interesting to see how, how all that goes, but I don't I don't think these teams are intentionally tanking, neither. <laughs> I don't think that... No. I don't think... I think the Pistons are trying to win every now and then, but, yeah, it's just... It's horrible. The, um, you know, the Wizards, the same thing. Both those rosters, you look at them. The Spurs will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll I think in a year or two, they're going to blood Wemby. They've got a, a few okay young pieces. They'll get it together eventually. But um, out east, it's it's pretty ugly. NBA tournament pro, just, you know, the the game that stopped the nation was last night. I don't know if you tuned in to watch the, uh, the Lakers. I did. Lakers defeat the Pacers. It got you to tune in, a regular season game, so it's worked. Uh, but No doubt. Do you tick it off as a success, the NBA tournament, NBA Cup? Folks, I wasn't a big fan of it early on. Um, you know, we talked about it early, right when they announced it. I, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be much. I mean, 500 grand, you'd think that these guys are making an average of 10 million. 500 grand is a lot of money, but like, I just didn't think it was going to move the needle. I will say this it was a much more enjoyable um, experience watching regular season basketball on those nights where they had the games on Tuesdays and Fridays and, you know, the one and out deal in the playoffs made it more exciting. I I do, I I do like that. And I thought that in my opinion, what it did was it focused on a small market team that nobody tuned into that really took the league by storm in the Indiana Pacers and Halliburton and that whole deal where I think that that's the good part of it. The excitement of people going at it and competing almost every night with these games. And then also, you know, Halliburton was a Hall of Famer in in, in those couple of weeks, including the playoffs, and, you know, they cut up short. Uh, You know, it was a little more exciting for sure, but, I mean, the hype of what they – my opinion, I don't know how much they spent on it. I got to think the league spent – Anywhere from twenty to thirty million dollars on it, with the prize money, the courts, the media buys, pumping the tournament up. I liked it. I thought it was good. I think it's something that they could probably, you know, package together and sell to a streaming service. Although I get an email from Ethan Strauss, um, from somebody, who, you know, from a little birdie told me you guys, are, you know, had a few jokes at my expense on the podcast last week. No, we told you that. that. Not a little birdie. We told you to your face. <laughs> Exactly. But um his email and his it, you know, he was saying that the the viewership was pretty bad or very lukewarm on the whole event. I would have thought that it would have had some upticks to it, but you know, from for his numbers, he's saying that it was down. So or average, you know. So what what are your thoughts, folks? What do you think? Oh look, I think it's a, a nice distraction from the regular season. That was Ethan's point. Now is okay. What now? So we've, yeah. we've had the NBA tournament yeah. mid-season. Now you're back to these regular season grueling games that don't mean shit. Um, it was good for that, where it actually meant it a little bit. And look, yeah. it's, you can't be too harsh on it because it is the first season of it. But it was super forced. It was super. 
yeah. super Hollywood forced. Even the champagne afterwards was so awkward. Oh, we won the t- see. It just was like it was really forced and awkward. But I think that's normal because it's the first year. Until they get a bit of, you know, consistency with this every season, I, I just can't see people getting that excited for it week uh, year in year out. I mean, it, it was mm-hmm. good just for the fact that these games meant a little bit more. Um, I thought it'd give shit a team something more to play for. Like if you're a middle of the pack team that really has no chance for a championship, you know, or you're a Pistons or you're one of these teams that's having a write-off of a season, you're like, hey, let's try to get an NBA Cup, worst case, <laughs> at least we salvage something. So I think it's good for that, but right. um, I wasn't I wasn't jumping off my couch trying to find the NBA tournament. I just tuned in yesterday because mm-hmm. I was at home and watched a bit of it. Um, and I was losing my mind because LeBron got MVP, but I've just – I've just learned that's that's MVP of the whole tournament, I believe. Pro, I thought it was yeah. I thought it was Finals MVP because I was looking at the stats and <laughs> AD went. Well, you would have thought they cr- won the NBA Finals. That's why you were confused. You would have thought that that game was the actual <laughs> NBA Finals yeah. the way they treated it. But yeah, the but- numbers were pretty close. I ran the numbers on both those guys all you know for the seven games, and it was pretty close. Yeah, but I thought it was just for the final, so I made a mistake. I went, I went off in a yeah. group chat. Luckily, I went off in the group chat, not publicly, but because AD had a <laughs> right. night. He was like, what do you have, forty and twenty or something like that with with five. Yeah, blocks, he had forty one twenty and five with four blocks. And I was like, how the hell did he not get MVP? And I just read it was over the course of the seven games. So LeBron definitely yeah. deserved it. He, he, you know, you love him or you hate him, but he deserved uh, to get that. And they've, they've made history, and now the NBA, you know. It's, He's the first one ever, the first one ever win it, pro. So he'll always be. Folks, that first one ever stuff on anything oh. is just too much these days. First one to do this and first one to do that and first one to do this. Um, and then I even read Dwight Howard said he wants to, he's not going to retire until he plays one career game in the NBA tournament. I mean, give me a, I Lots mean, goals. like, <laughs> it's, I think it's just too much with the whole, you know, how great this thing is. It's funny. You know the Euro- the European like the Copa the Copa that's played in Spain. When those guys play in those and the European teams on the basketball side, they play in in that sort of mid season tournament. They don't get paid extra bogues, do they? Or no, I don't think so. Do they? Oh, they, get, they, get, they, they get a bonus if they win the, the win the cups or whatever. They okay. definitely get a bonus. But the good thing about yeah. those cup things is in basketball and, and even soccer or football is that there's a lot of David versus Goliath matchups. That's what's cool about them because you got like teams that, you know, at least in, in, in soccer where you got first division, second division, third division teams up might play Man United, right? Like mm-hmm. the NBA, it's still just NBA teams playing the NBA. So like, you know, you can never really replicate what the essence of a cup truly means. A cup means that it's for everyone in that region. Um, so yeah. if you did an NBA version, you'd say – you know, all the G League teams, your is the CBA still around, whatever that other minor league is. No, do you, no, just the G League. Just the really? G League's left, right. So, you know, yeah. you, you know that, that that's it. You, you'd want to almost include college teams just to get some real battles. But but that's why mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, the Premier League and, and soccer leagues and even in basketball, those cups are cool because you have matchups that you'd never really have otherwise. Um, and that's why the Euro League's cool as well because you get, you get these cross matches. So... I think it served its purpose. It got a little bit of hype, um, was very mm-hmm. forced, but I think the force thing will kind of phase out over time as it becomes a bit more normal. But I just, like I said, I'm not I'm not jumping off my couch to turn TV but, on. Yeah, Bogues, and also my thing is most of these guys are making a lot of money. You know, the average salary at 10 million, you got guys making up to upwards of 60. And you're telling me that this cup, 
makes those guys play that much hotter. And then the regular, look, I, I understand today's athlete. They're not going to get up like Michael Jordan did every game trying to, you know, go a million miles an hour, win an NBA championship every night. But you're telling me that we had two weeks of exciting basketball or more exciting basketball than usual just because of this cup. And now, look, I know every game's not going to be bad or anything. I know there'll be some, some competitive games, but it just goes to show you that where we're at, where, you know, you, it, look, it was a, it was a cool deal, a cool experience, but you need to create this to get your regular season just above, you know, above flatlining. It's just a weird deal. And look, it was cool, like I said, but that's just a weird, weird deal to me where like most of the league's not competitive like that, where it takes a $500,000 payday, you know, to, to get you going a little bit. That's my whole deal with the, with the league. And look, the, the tournament was a good idea, a very good idea, but it's just weird because we got 60 games to go now, man. That's a long 60 games. And that was Strauss's point in his article um, was was what now? Like you've had this peak of an NBA tournament and now you've got yeah. <laughs> 60 games till the next big thing, which is the playoffs. So it's a valid point. Right. There's always a debate about um, less games, more games. That, that'll that'll never end. But uh, for now, I give it a, give it a, a, a slight thumbs up that serves its purpose. People were tuning in that probably wouldn't usually mid-season and, and we move on. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, but continues his hot form, bro. Um, I'd love to hear where you have him in your MVP race. I know it's a bit of a flyer, but he's currently ranked sixth on the NBA, NBA.com MVP race that they have. Um, I've got him right up there in the top five as well. His numbers are mm. unbelievable. I mean, he's putting up, he's putting up 26 points uh, 26.9 points, 12.1 assists to one to 2.2 turnovers, which is just insane. 52% from the field, 44 from three, 88 from the free throw line, and a steal to boot. Uh, having an absolute career year. Can you see him in the running? If Indiana make a run here and 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 remain kind of you know up on that upper end of the East and and somehow get to a first round, maybe a maybe a second round, he continues these numbers. Do you think he has a genuine chance to, to win the MVP? I don't think so. I think he's got a legitimate chance to try to get in that top five, that that first team all NBA. Um, I just think it's going to be hard, you know, to really beat out, you know, look, and, and what they're doing is really good in Indiana and, and sort of where he's bringing them because without him, they got no chance. Some of these teams with MVP players on it, they could still survive without their guy, not as to a, to that higher level, but they could still be good. Indiana without him, he he makes everything run, which I guess that is a definition of an MVP. But, um, you know, to me, are you going to beat out an Embiid, a Jokic, even Doncic? And, you know, you got Kevin Durant putting up 31 and seven. Um, that's going to be a tough deal. But it all depends. I, well, again, I guess it depends where Indiana is going to fall in the seating because the, the playoffs doesn't really, uh, they don't, they don't vote on the, on the playoffs. That's what the I mean. MVP. If they're a top four team, yeah. Um, he might, you know, he'll have a push. Look, the names you mentioned, the, the rankings just for everyone, somehow they have Embiid at one, uh, they have Jokic at two, SGA is at three, Dantich four, Giannis five, and then they have Tyrese at six, Tatum, Durant, LeBron, Devin Booker. Um, I think six is very fair. Uh, he's scratching the surface mm -hmm. of the five, but yeah, just a name that, you know, they continue to play this way. They play a high tempo and look, he's not up there scoring thirty a night like the other guys, but he's putting up, you know, mid twenties, and he's leading the league in assists, basically. You know, so 
I think you know he's he's going to be in the mix. I think if they if they if they finish top four, I think he moves up into mm. the top five in my opinion um, with the way they play. Yeah, I mean, and and the way they're playing right now, Bogues. I mean, they're at a a monumental pace offensively as far as how they score, what how they how they come at you, and they come at you for forty eight minutes. They don't really defend well, but they they could really score, and they got tough guys. They got shooting. Buddy Hield's playing much better. So yeah, I mean, I. I I, I get your point. And then also with Luca and, you know, with, with Shea, those, those teams are going to compete. I think Dallas will probably be a playing team if that. And then Oklahoma City, I got them in the top four. And, and you know, they're not going to be number one seeds. And, you know, Jokic and Bede, are they sort of tired of having the big guys as MVP candidates? Maybe, maybe Tyrese could sort of raise his stock there. It's just – it's a long season. I guess you got to figure it out, but he is fun to watch. He pushes it, you know, pushes it at you. The thing about the Halliburton thing, Bogues, and, and, and we talk about it all the time. Nobody talked about Halliburton for the last few years through the draft, through this and that. Now everybody's Monday morning quarterback, or revisionist history. I loved Halliburton in the draft. We should have drafted him. You got Bob Myers saying that he was going to take him. Um, all these, you know, podcasts saying I loved him in the draft. This team should have taken him. I, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Nobody was screaming for Halliburton. And now, you know, look, he made that trade out of Sacramento. I, both those organizations, Sacramento, Indiana weren't going anywhere. And now, you know, now he's doing really, really well, but it's great. It's great to see what media and just other personalities talking about how they love Halliburton, even though they never mentioned him. But now he's got this little bit of you know, this big time run this year. Now everybody's a Halliburton fan, you know. I of mean, course, that's how it goes. Hats off to what the guy's doing. He's doing well, and they're averaging 128 points a game. So they their pace is second to none. Um, I'd love to know what the all time leader is, but uh, in NBA history, but they'd be close to it, pushing that, and obviously more scoring coming with um, with the way the game's going. It's a much higher tempo. Zion Williamson, pro. He uh, he. <laughs> He's once again caught himself in hot water uh, for being out of shape. Didn't look good against the Lakers. Looked like he somehow got bigger in Vegas for those few days. Uh, buffets may be pro. There's some nice buffets in Las Vegas. But since then, some com- some commentary has come out. Someone's leaked from the, the New Orleans Pelicans, obviously, that he does not listen to the Pelicans and they're pleased to improve his diet and conditioning uh, this was kind of our number one pet peeve with him, and it has been has been for everybody. You know, they're, they're going to go as far as he takes them, whether they like it or not. They have some, they have some horses, even if he's hurt, but not enough to make any noise in a playoff series. Um, they're currently tenth, twelve and eleven, six and four. Of their last ten, they're not playing horrible basketball. But when you got a guy that is so powerful, strong, and athletic, but can only really give you short bursts, but he's still playing thirty plus minutes. It's not a good combination with the way they're playing, and they have a lot of young, long, athletic guys. So you would think Zion, with that mix, their tempo should be up there with what the Pacers are doing. You know, probably not 128 points, but they should be flying up and down the court. I know they got CJ, who's a bit younger, but he's been hurt most of this season. Uh, it's it's just not good. Um, he, I don't know if he's still got the Mountain Dew commercial over there, pro. We didn't get the US commercials, but I know he had one of those. <laughs> Uh, I haven't a, seen one. Someone, someone snapped him in a Wendy's or a, or some sort of drive-through. <laughs> one of the workers took a photo of him while he was in his car. So that, that's not going to stop now. That's going to continue. 
but he needs to get in shape. If the Pelicans want to do anything, I just hate to see him eat his way out of New Orleans. Um, you know, AD got his way out of there, but still somewhat handled it professionally. There was an infamous T-shirt, the jumper that he was wearing, trying to navigate his way out. It was clear that he was going to leave, but, you know, I just hope he doesn't eat his way out of New Orleans and then go somewhere else and get in shape and play really well. I mean, Bogues looks – it's been that way the whole t- you know the whole time throughout his career. It's it's been a weight issue. Um, what I didn't like about his whole deal is look, this is a, a reoccurring thing every year, and he's like, well, we got to get on the same page every year. It's we got to get on the same page. Here's their page: don't be fat. Your page is a dinner menu. You got to get off that. He's, if he wants anything, if he wants to salvage, look, he's still a really good player and he's still effective to a certain degree. I've never been a huge fan. I think he's a good player. He overpowers you. You know, you got to play him at five because he just overpowers anybody. And when he overpowers you, he's fine. He doesn't shoot it well. He shoots in the 60s from the line. He shoots low 30s from three. He's not a shooter. He's not a passer. He rebounds at six rebounds a game, but he overpowers you. He could put up numbers. But if he's not going to take his career serious, I mean, how, you know, with, with the professionalism, all he has to do is be in good shape. That's all he's got to do. And he could take them pretty far. Right now, I think he's the third best player on that team. You know, I think Ingram and McCollum are better players. I think that his weight, because look, he's got short arms. He's a good, a really good athlete as far as like when he's got a head of steam you know, and he can, he could elevate. He's not a guy who's like, he could just get off two feet and elevate over you. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, handle the ball and go by you. He's a guy that's going to overpower you. He's going to play well in transition. He, you know, he could rebound even though he's only averaging 5.8 or six rebounds a night. But look, he's got to get in shape and he's got to take this serious and he's got to stop blaming everybody else besides himself. Look, we've all been, we've been around NBA teams. We know, it's a shit show sometimes with staff and how they handle things. But this situation, he's getting $34 million a year. You know, he's, he's paid for the next five and, you know, probably making, I don't know, upwards of 200 million bucks. Like all he's got to just stop this, not the madness and the nonsense and get in shape. You're an NBA player. You're a damn good one, but he just doesn't look good. That body looks bad. He's going to get hurt. We know we, we've, we've been through this song and dance for a few years now. And it's just, he's got to stop blaming everybody else and, you know, get on the same page. Well, no, get on the fucking page and get on the scale and, and just get off, you know, just, just hire a chef. Just get that cheeseburger <laughs> out, of your, out of your, out of your mouth, man. It's, it's frustrating. Most folks, of guys, the kid's a good kid. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, I mean, you don't really hear bad things. He just can't keep his diet under control. And, and a lot of those guys that had <clears throat> issues, uh, they do exactly that. They hire a chef. Uh, you got the money. Yeah. And then it just stops you from like, you know, it's 6 PM on an off day. You don't have anything in the fridge. You just, oh, let me just go get a burger. Like it stops you doing all that. And anything fast and easy and convenient is generally shit for you. Right. So yeah, pay a chef a hundred K a year and be there making you breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. You get a really nice chef for that in America. And I oh, think yeah. that's, that's something he needs to invest in. Cause I'd love to see their squad. We spoke about it with him at the five and those mm-hmm. wings just flying up and down the court, creating mismatches. That's where they'd be effective. But you know, and, and and to your point, he's such a powerful beast of an athlete. You know, you worry about he's, he's had knee issues already, right? Like he's had he's had issues with his legs. Like 
all that power and all that torque coming through that knee with an extra 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds and you're carrying, it's a dangerous mix and he's young and strong right now, but you start getting to your late 20s, it's his fifth year in the league too, pro. You'd hope he'd mm. figure this shit out. You know, he needs to figure it out. He, he did miss 21, 22 season with his foot injury, you know, so you hope he figures it out and you see them doing well. Yeah. I just feel like New Orleans has had a pretty bad run with their top draft picks and AD leaving the way he did and now this is looking like he kind of wants to be there but doesn't. He signed that extension quickly, but, you know, he, he's going to be out of here. He he needs to hire like a Bill Burr type of guy that's going to bust his balls every time he picks up something that's not good for him. You condoning he bullying? Seriously. You condoning bullying pro? Yes, I'm condoning bullying for him, <laughs> for sure. And just be, a, be somebody who's just going to – yeah, not a Bill Burr, you know what I'm saying, but like no, a guy no, that's going to be with him every time. And be like Zion, you really need that man. Come on, and, and this is going to be the difference between him being a really good player and just a player that's something they can't really depend on on a regular basis because you're always hurt, and then the conditioning is going to be a problem. But like I said, he's a good kid. I like that team. Yeah, I I think Green's doing a good job coaching. I think that I like the roster. But they're, you know, it's funny too because they played well all the way up until they lost in the, you know, in the tournament, and now everybody was just dumping on it. It's funny I didn't hear much about Zion being f- like fat or out of shape. I didn't really notice because I didn't watch him a ton. But then right after that, I, I remember we were watching the game. I think I was texted you, and I was like, "Man, he looks big." Mm-hmm. Anyways, man, you know, we can move on from it. It's just, you know, it's the same old story and. The thing is, those guys with weight issues, especially into their fifth year, they they tend never to really ever challenge, ever sort of meet that challenge of getting their weight under control. And you know, I'm not saying he's going to be 600 pounds or anything, but I just think that it's going to be an issue. And he just doesn't want to address it, and he wants to blame everybody else. Yeah, well, I think we're both saying it for the point of view. We want to see him healthy and see how far he can take that team. They're a good young team, and he's a centerpiece of it. He's eaten up most of their salary, and they invested a lot in him. Let's see it. And just by the way, the Pacers are number one all time for uh, for scoring pro. The number two were the 81-82 Nuggets. So if they continue this pace, they will set an NBA all-time uh, scoring record for points per game in the regular season. Finally, just real quick, uh, there's a big, big outrage about Jalen Brunson getting hurt in garbage time. <clears throat> they were down 12 with 20 seconds left. He was still in the game. <laughs> and you, you sent me this note to put in the run sheet. So I decided to go online and see how he did it. You saw how he did it, pro? I, sent, I think I sent it to you. Did somebody step on his footballs? It was on a free throw, and he's come in just like nonchalant because they're down 12 with 20 seconds. And the guy behind him, on the, when he was lining up in the free throw, he stepped on his uh, – so Jalen was kind of backpedaling. He stepped on one foot of the guys, and then as he put his other foot down to balance himself from almost rolling that ankle, he rolled the other ankle. <laughs> that's what he's – That's what he's hurt. So it's it's kind of ugly. There were some people firing up at Thiv saying, get him out. It's garbage time. You're riding your guys till the end when it was an unwinnable game. Argument for and against that, I guess, but there's reports today that um, he was seen at a Villanova event walking around pretty unrestricted. So you hope that it was just a bit of uh, mayonnaise on 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 the uh, on the ankle, that uh, bit of acting that it was worse than it really was. But I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Like, if you're if you're a head coach, you know, you're down 12, 20 seconds left. Are you pulling all your starters, or you're one of those guys? It's thibs. It's like, oh, we're still in this, or so we need these four threes, and we can get back in this game. Bogues, I think it's just how you how you 
sort of view it. I, I view it as, look, you're, you're down 12 or 20 seconds. I'm just getting my guys out. I, I, but I do see other guys doing it. I see, you know, I see guys pulling their starters back in the game up 25 with four and a half left. Some guys are, are resting their starters the best they can, you know, the earliest they can. I, I'm just saying, look, I'm always protecting it, but there's always going to be that argument against you. There's like, you're not playing them hard enough. You lost the last game. You should have played more minutes. You you lost the next game. You should have played him more minutes. He wasn't ready because of that. And then you keep him in longer. He gets hurt. And then they want to blame you and fire you for being hurt. Look, that's to me, that's Tibbs all his whole career. He's been a guy that, you know, plays guys heavy minutes. They practice hard. Everything with Tibbs is hard. And you like it. You hate it. However you do it. That's how he coaches. That's his style. And look, nobody was, was calling for his head. I know Joakim Noah had some uh, planner issues in Chicago when he when he was with them, but like, you know, uh, to me, that's just how he is, and it is what it is. I think there's there's two sides of the argument. As a player, Bogues, what what were your thoughts on coaches who did both of those things, like you know, kept guys in or rested them maybe a little bit too much? What's your thought process? I mean, on the it? NBA circuit. If if I know we're done. Um, um, if I was a head coach, I would pull guys um, if I know, like, you know, and, and sometimes I'd pull them as a fuck you, like if we're playing bad and sometimes you'd have players that say we're down, we've been playing shit the whole game and we're not locked in, but we're kind of, you know, it's five minutes left and we're down 12, 13, 14. I've had coaches say hockey lineup, like it's an F you to the starters, you know, and sometimes the starters are like, oh man, we, we can get this back, man. Like, no, you, you've had 40 minutes to get it back. Yeah, if you showed me nothing. So I'm all for that, and I'm all, I'm for the thing you got to look at is you got to look. Thib does have to be a bit more strategic. You got to look at the next night. I think he gets stubborn sometimes, like you said. It's been his mo. The Knicks knew that when they hired him, but you got to protect your guys at the 82 games. But what flips it is the NBA tournament. You know, you got to you got to play till the end. If it was a tournament game, it wasn't. But if it was, those scores are important, right? So I'm not a fan of it. I'll always try to you know. Sometimes you just got to put a put your cue in the rack, the old adage, and say, we've got another one in a night or two. I want to make sure that nothing stupid happens. Let's get some of the young guys some burn, and maybe we can find another role player on my bench that cracks the rotation. That's what those minutes are for, I think, and you can find maybe a gem every now and then that's working hard and a rookie that, oh, shit, I didn't know you could do that. He's earned some minutes. He was ready to play. That's where the battle comes, and that's conversations you have with all the guys that you – a kind of tutoring, trying to help. Um, you know, if you're an 11, 12 guy, you get that opportunity. You know, you make amends, you come in with energy. A coach might say, that kid was, even though we're down 20, shitty game, cold night in Detroit, worst team in the league beating us, he's come in and brought energy. You might crack the rotation the week before. So I'm, I'm about, you know, trying to protect my guys, but there's no right formula to it. Every coach does it differently, but um, that's how I would do it, pro. Yeah, I agree with you, folks. Um, I think it's just... I think you got to read the schedule. You got to read everything that's going on. You know, do we really have a chance? What's our schedule going forward? You know, you know, did he, you know, are we not playing for another four or five days? Ramp up his minutes this game, or you know, we're gonna get that rest, or we got three games in five nights. I think you sort of change it throughout how your schedule is. And I think you you sort of in communication with your your, your trainer and your, and your medical team about that too. But look, some guys are just it. And look, Tibbs, love him or hate him, Tibbs is going to get you prepared every night. And he's going to he he's going to compete for 48 minutes and he's going to that's all he knows. And 
yeah, should he change a little bit? Maybe, but that's sort of how he becomes, he's become a very reliable, very good coach. But, you know, yeah, but it, it depends on the result. If the result is the guy's going to get hurt, they're going to blame him. You know, if he's out of shape a little bit, why didn't you play him? I think there's always going to be an argument there and you just got to go with your gut. But yeah, I'm not for and you gotta watch pro. over. The other thing is that you and I have both seen is you, you keep your starters in and you're down 20 with five minutes left and you've got these young kids, go-getters trying yeah. to earn minutes. Starters are generally like – those last five minutes of a game, uh, I don't. Why the hell am I still yeah. out here? You're you're going eighty percent. You got this young yeah. rookie who's like deer in the headlights. I've got minutes. I'm just trying to hit it. If you're a big, you're physical, you're and, and that's when you see guys get hurt. You see guys get hurt a lot like that. So yeah. as a coach, you got to know that. You got to know that as well. You got to balance that up and be like, uh, they've got their young team in. Yeah, you know, probably want to want to get my starters out. And I and I think like for Doc Rivers, for a Tibbs, guys that didn't really like you playing young players. If you have situations when you're going to get, you, you get blowouts, you're blowing somebody out or you're getting blown out. And it's like fourth quarter, like you said, you get your starters back in, still in, you know, down 20, up 20, whatever. Like you said, you've got those young guys. For a lot of times with these teams these days, there's really hard to find blowouts and find time for rookies or young guys that you're trying to look what you got. And I think that. You know, look, saving your older players or your starters' legs and giving those guys opportunities, I think that that's a great a great way to do it. But look, man, everybody's going to do their thing and they're comfortable coaching a, a, a you know a particular style. Look, most of the players that I've worked with were the eleventh, ninth, seventh, twelfth, fifteenth guy. And you look up at the scoreboard, you're up thirty, down thirty, and you're you know, and you're looking at your coach you're like, come on, man. Put this guy in. Let's see. <laughs> let's give him a few minutes to see what, you know, this guy's on suicide watch for God's sakes, you know? And like, you know, this coach, this player's on suicide watch. He hasn't played in a month. Let's see what he has. But look, man, everybody's got their own formula and, you know, what are you going to do, dude? Totally agree. All right. I was in the NBA. I'm going to give you, Pro, I'm going to give you a guess on who won it this week. I just want you to have a fly. Who do you think was the Aussie of the week? I'm going to say. You're not going to get this one. And I thought about him. I thought about him right away. I'm gonna say Dante Exum. Oh, what the hell! You, you read the you read the sheet, man. There's no way. You... No, I, I. Hey, first of all, you know I never read the sheet. Second of all, <laughs> um, I. First of all, let me just say, and I know you don't like when I go off in tangents, and I won't real long. <laughs> why they didn't count the last game of the tournament? I just saw, I saw Exum scored like 20 or something for the Mavericks in the night when Irving got hurt, and I tried to pick him up, and I, and I couldn't pick him up because somebody else did in my my fantasy league, but. Um, so I thought of you right away when he had twenty. I was like, "Fuck, they, you know, that's that's perfect for our Aussie of the week." But yep. no, I didn't. Well, I didn't he is. See it. He's the Aussie of the week. He uh, three games, thirteen point three points, four point three rebounds, six point six assists, and a steal. It's his best run as a Dallas Maverick uh, so far. And he had that. He had that uh, game that you're referring to against Portland. Twenty three points. Six rebounds, seven assists, no turnovers. He just he's 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 been playing well. He's starting to put it together. Uh at Utah, they, they yeah, they did win, they did win by 50 in Utah, but he was a he only had five point seven assists and six rebounds, but it was a plus minus of plus forty. <laughs> so you don't see that very often. But Dante gets the nod. Uh you were shitting on the Aussie of the week saying that Giddy was gonna run the gauntlet. 
And we actually have a four-way tie of our Aussie of the Weeks this this season, Pro. We've got Ben Simmons with one, Giddy with one, Dyson Daniels with one, and Dante with one. So it's been good um, to see it even out. Dyson Daniels, touch on him, falling out of the rotation, CJ McCollum back. His minutes have heavily dried up. Uh, he had a really good week last two weeks ago. He's back down to 3.4 points, 3.4 rebounds, under one assist a game, which is not good. And 1.2 steals. So he's lost most of his minutes. Josh Green currently out for a few weeks with a right elbow sprain. I think he had a elbow sprain last season too, if I'm not correct. I think that same arm's getting in a bit of trouble. He only played two games this last two weeks. 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals. Joe Ingles has found a bit more form, slowly putting it together off the bench for the Orlando Magic, who are balling, by the way. 5.4 points, 3.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists, one steal per night off the bench, seven for 13 for three in that span. Jock Landau's kind of fallen out of the rotation and was, I spoke to him, he was very, very sick with the flu. So he's only, only played two games over the last two weeks, eight minutes a game, three points a night, um, but hasn't really cracked that rotation yet. Paddy Mills, first minutes of the season in a loss to Philly, played 17 minutes for his three points. Matisse Seibel, 8.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, one assist a game, along with two steals and one block. 10 for 19 from three in that span, so that's a good sign. Josh Giddy, his minutes pro have severely dropped. I don't know if you've been watching many of their games, but he's not he's not in their late game much anymore. Um, don't know what's going on, the distraction of what's going on off the floor. I'm not sure, but his minutes, he's down the last two weeks, 23.2 minutes pro. So this is a guy that played mid-30s. They're playing him off the ball a lot. This is probably his worst stint with assists per game. 2.6 assists per game in this span, bro. Probably career low for him. 10.2 points, 6.4 rebounds, one steal per game. Seven for 23 from three. What are you seeing? Are you seeing any of their games? They've really moved him off the ball a lot, um, which isn't a good sign. I mean, he shot 23 threes in two weeks because he's off the ball, right? He's open for a reason. But, yeah, it's it's, it's a head-scratcher there in OKC. Bogues. You know, I was watching them a lot the last few nights, a few weeks, you know, heading in, heading into this last week. And I, I thought he was playing all right. Just the shooting to me was just where, where his weakness is a lot, weakness a lot, you know, shooting 30 from the three and but his free throw shooting isn't bad. It's like 78%. He's being aggressive. It's just, it's just weird, you know, that he's not playing late game, but they've got, you know, they got a bunch of guys that have played well. Kason uh, Wallace, a young kid out of Kentucky that's a rookie, he's played well. Isaiah Joe off the bench has played well. So they have got a lot of guards in their rotation that just sort of can make, you know, a little bit better shooter. Not the passer he is, but uh, not the playmaker. But I don't know. Maybe it's the shooting. Maybe it's what's going on off the, off the floor. I have no idea. <clears throat> it's – um. You never know what's going on with the team unless you're there and and you're sort of in the middle of it. I haven't heard anything, but um, it is an interesting phenomenon that's going on there because I think going into the season, I think both you and I expected big things out of him as far as like you know his role in the team, stepping up, played well in the you know in, in the FIBA competition this summer. Um, you know him and Alexander together is great. I, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting deal. I. I would have thought, even though the shortcomings with the shooting, that he would still play late game because of his playmaking, his size, his basketball IQ. But yeah, it's 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 weird. Watch that space. A lot going on in the world of Josh Giddy. A lot of distractions off the floor, obviously, with what's going on. And you know, it's it's a tough place to be. So he needs to uh, try to keep it together and and keep his performance on the court um, 
going, but yeah, they've, they've, they've moved off him a little bit. Hope to see him back on the floor. So Ben Simmons still hasn't played. It's been <clears throat> over a month with a hip issue or back issue. Uh, Kane Pittman was on with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Kane Pittman is a Australian basketball analyst who's just gone over full-time. Congratulations to him, by the way. Um, gone over there to be a, a basketball analyst with ESPN from the Australian point of view, and Stephen A. Smith absolutely obliterated Ben again. Um, what's going on? Is it is it mental? Is it mental again? He needs to get out on the court, and he does. We hope he ho- hope he gets healthy because he was the initial report was eight to eight to ten days, and it's it's now you know we're in, we're in thirty plus November fifth was the last game he played, so we're at uh, thirty six thirty seven days. So hope to see him healthy. Dwight Breath has been playing pretty well, bro. I don't know if you followed his journey. Yes. He's, he's been doing a great yes, job with Portland, um, and hopefully he's earned a stint. And and what. The outlier is with his numbers, he's shooting the shit out of it from three. Um, yep, nine point two points, three point three point four rebounds, one point four assists. I like to see his rebounds get up a little bit. Playing the five spot, he needs to. I think he needs to off the bench. He started a fair few games because Aiton's in and out with an injury. He needs to get that number to mm-hmm. about five or six rebounds a game. But he's eight for twenty for three in the last uh, two weeks, and even before that, shooting it well. Shot it really well for the Boomers, not on mass. I always felt it was strange that they went small ball lineups with shooters when he was actually shooting it well. Um, he was kind of the odd man out because I felt you could space him in the corner, still have some size in the defensive end. He's a pretty good um, rim protector as well. But I think pro he's earned an NBA deal somewhere if Portland don't keep him long term. So he's playing some good ball. Yeah, I think Portland's going to keep him. I mean, I think those second unit centers that could roll to the rim, especially ones that can shoot tough, and you could start them in spot minutes when you know, your starter goes out with an injury like they did with Aiton. Um, he's played well. I watched him. I watched him a couple of times last week, at least once last week. I just sort of like he sort of reminds me of a Bayambo that could actually shoot, like a guy that's just active. You know, he's got a good body. Probably doesn't rebound it like Bayambo does, but um, he's a good player. He 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 fit in pretty well. I I didn't watch him a ton um, internationally. But you know, watching him in Portland, I think he's he's played well. He's screen setter, does his thing, doesn't doesn't demand the ball all the time, just sort of plays hard, and then he can make shots. You know, he's uh, he's an interesting player. I think he's gonna. I think it, it's just an easy. I think it will be an easy resign for them, just because he's a young kid. They could they could continue to develop. He's a good backup and he's a solid player. And just a quick stat, which we won't use for useful useless, but. Uh... NBL News, I believe, posted this. He the most three pointers made by a center in their first ten NBA games. He's had fourteen pro, so I know we love these stats on Tuesday, but uh, yeah, still, still good for him. Keep shooting the ball. All right, let's move on to our useful or useless pro. I got some good ones this week, but this one, this one's a decent one. But the next two, I think you'll like. Uh, games with fifteen plus assists and zero turnovers. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has three in his career so far, obviously mm. all this season, I think. Mm. The last 35 MVP seasons combined, combined, pro, how many do you think would have a line of 15 plus assists with zero turnovers? Just going to guess like one. Good guess. It is one. Um, oh, well. I, like, I like how they picked just MVP seasons because maybe there was someone else in the league that wasn't MVP that did it. But pretty impressive. 15 assists, zero turnovers, hard to do. When you've got the ball in your hands that much, and you get a donut turnover-wise, that's beyond impressive. It means he's using the ball well. And I was watching a couple of their games. A lot of their stuff isn't just simple swing-swing stuff. They're still attacking and penetrating and putting points on the board. And the danger of running a high-potency offense like that is you can have games where you have 20, 30 turnovers because you're pushing the pace so much. So they've found a really nice balance there. And 
Um, love the way he's playing. Useful, useless, bro. Oh, it's useful for sure. I mean, it just goes to show you how, how important, you know, how hard it is to do that. I'm not a big fan of first guy to do this or first guy to do that, but 15 assists, no turnovers. Um, that's really hard to do. And like you said, they run a lot of random stuff that you would think that they'd throw the ball away a little bit and throw the ball everywhere. I think it's, I think it's useful for sure. Definitely useful. It's playing well. All right. <clears throat> the average NBA player pro is six foot six point three feet tall, and the average NBA player has never been shorter over the past thirty nine seasons. But point guards are the tallest they have ever been in league history. All other positions are the shortest since the eighties, and seventy two percent of the league is under six foot nine. Useful, useless. It's useful just sort of where the league's going. It's going smaller, you know. It's just going smaller. You, it's funny. You would think that it would it would stay solid on most positions, except the center just getting smaller. But I would say that's a that's a useful stat. It just you know it goes to show you those players that are over seven feet. It's 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 going to be re- it's going to continuously be tougher as far as the analytical world of basketball to to stay. You know, to keep numbers high on, on those guys that are seven foot, seven one, seven two, unless you're a unique talent on on, on some way, especially you can shoot the ball. Um, it's just it's it's an interesting stat. I would say useful. Yeah, you're useful. You also you almost got to be seven foot. You need to be kind of a skinnier build that shoots threes. I think you know, it'd be really interesting to see if someone like a Shaq came in, how teams would would see that, whether they'd value it as highly as Shaq coming out in the 90s and 2000s, right? Like that's that's a big thing because, you know, it would absolutely dominate the offensive end, but the defensively it would just be pulling you out on the perimeter all night, right? So you'd have that that mix and then and it contradicts a lot of these teams with their analytics of saying, you know, you don't want a, a big, slow-footed big man, um, probably Shaq more towards the end of his career, but mm-hmm. – I still think you take a guy like that because they're an anomaly, but at the same time, the analytics dudes would lose their fucking minds. Yeah, I think that my attitude towards drafting a guy like Shaq would be the free throws need to be the free throw because teams we talked about it on the pod a bunch of times with like Cleveland, like teams that go bigger, you know, defensively they are still a really good team. Often, you know. I think with bigs like like a Shaq coming out, like the lob, the screening, the lob, the rebounding, all those things are really good. Obviously, the offense, the scoring, the shooting isn't. But I think if he can make his free throws, and I think that if you could turn him into somebody who could at least not get beat, like pathetically beat defensively, I think you'd still be in a decent spot because again, on the other end of the floor, they got to switch against you. That one five that you still got to switch and you, and you could throw it down there to them. Even without the um, one five though, like you look at the five men starting, you know, the majority of them in the league aren't big, strong physical five men for the most part. Right. So even if it wasn't a yeah. one five switch, you're throwing it to Shaq against Chet Holmgren That's what I'm or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I still like that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't draft the normal seven footer anymore, like the normal seven foot just post scorer. But if there's a if there's a freak, you know, like a Shaq, like an Olajuwon, like a Embiid, you would still, in my opinion, really heavily consider it. Yeah. And I think, but most other centers, yeah, you're right. Like I think it's a it's an interesting deal as far as how that goes. But 
Um, I would still myself go with Shaq. Would I throw it to him in the post like I would you know, 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago? No. I would use him differently, but the way he could change the game with shot blocking and rebounding and size and running and doing all that, I would just really, you know, I'd really address the free throw shooting because that's when he'd really hurt you late game if he if if they just continue to put him on the line. But it's interesting. That is a very interesting stat about how the league's going, you know, down with height and things. But yeah, you know, well, with the, with the I unicorn mean, look, type guys, the Holmgrens and the Wimbianas, um, you would have thought it was probably on par or higher, but yeah, for it to go down and, and with the caveat of point guards, the tallest they've ever been, that, that, that's really interesting. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, I, a prime example of a tall point guard. I mean, yeah, without, without question. I mean, that is a, that is a, that is a very good stat with that. I mean, you know, the average size of a point guard right now, I, I've, I've got a database that i sort of track that stuff. Starting point guards, Bogues, six foot four in the mm. point guard spot. Yeah. So, you know, it's pr- which is pretty high because back in the day, it's like six foot, yeah. six one. Isaiah Thomas you know, and Mark Price and, and all these kind of guys, Gary Payton, you know, they're all all low sixes, right? So, interesting. Yeah. All right, last one. We're following height. We've got to go weight. Uh, of course. We have the smallest share of overweight NBA players in the past 15 years. 43% of players are overweight, according to BMI. I think Zion that's the lowest. That. Yeah, it's the lowest. Forty three percent of them are overweight, according to BMI. Now, d- don't forget, BMI could be, you know, you could classify it's, it's a height to weight ratio too, right? So some guys that are, are are pretty good shape, their weight, their BMI might say, oh, they're they're kind of the average. Just say you're a little bit over, but um, it's yeah, it's the lowest in fifteen years as far as overweight NBA players. Well, of course, because they want to look good in their you know their skinny jeans when they, you know they've got a red <laughs> carpet on every NBA arena that they have to go through and and have paparazzi take their pictures. So they want to look good with that. So yeah, I I could see that. That's a useful stat. Well, Zion's flying the flag for the anti. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he's fighting the he's fighting the good fight, man. He's fighting the good fight, but yeah, just some interesting stats that we don't usually. I, they caught my eye a couple of weeks ago. I screenshot them and thought that'd be pretty interesting. All right, NBL, uh, a lot to get through this week, NBL wise, pro. I don't know sure. if you've been checked with a little bit of it, but first game of the round: Sydney Kings versus the Cairns Taipans. Uh, Kings up by eleven or twelve at halftime. They come back out, and the shot clock is broken at halftime. <laughs> um, league <laughs> league head officials are spinning. They don't know what to do. Fifty-one minute pause at halftime, pro. Um, which is not ideal. I think the air conditioning went out for portions of that. There were some electrical issues they had. It was decided by the coaches. Uh, I don't think management was reached by the league at that time, which is disappointing, that meaning GM and, and ownership group. Uh, the coaches decided we'll just play on with it and, and finish the game. And it was a shit show. It was it was bad. Uh, there was no shot clock completely, no shot clock for the second half that both coaches agreed to. You know, we we obviously thought we're up at 11, 12. Uh, let's just finish the game and get the win. Almost lost the game. Probably should have lost. We didn't play well in the second half. Actually hurts us not having a shot clock because we're kind of a high-paced, high-potent offense that gets the ball up quickly. And uh, and there was a few possessions late in that game. Jalen Adams probably had a 40-second possession one game. Crowd started booing. Cairns came down, did the same thing late quarter. You know, so there was a bit of shenanigans going on there, but I just can't understand. I think this has happened in the NBA before. I think I played in a game where the shot clock broke, and I believe the protocol is that they obviously have to have a spare shot clock, which Cairns for some reason didn't, which a couple of grand, you get a 
you know, it's just connected to a single wire or a little screen. You put it court side mm-hmm. on the floor and there's a guy just manning that button. They didn't have that for some reason, which is interesting. They should have that. Uh, the workaround with that is you have someone sit on the score bench with a shot, with a 24 second shot clock. And at the 10 second mark, they ring the buzzer. So it gives you a, a, uh, a warning that this, it's a 10 second warning buzzer. So then any smart players like, okay, shit. It's money. We call it money or butter or 10 seconds or under. Mm-hmm. I got to go and get – they didn't do that neither. They just elected to go with no shot clock. So that was interesting. We, you know, I was uh, watching from afar, like texting the, texting our ownership group, like what the hell's going on? We were, we started to have some concerns about 51 minutes is a hell of a pause with injuries. That's what I was worried about. Like, God forbid someone gets hurt in the second half. Thankfully, no one did. Game finished as it did. We got the win. We move on. But just uh, have you ever seen a circumstance like that in your high school, college, or uh, NBA days pro where, where something goes utterly wrong and they just basically change the rules of the game for a whole half? I've seen it in like AEU. I've seen it in high school. I don't think I've seen it in the NBA. Um, I haven't seen it in the minor league and all the minor league games that I've, won- I've gone to. But, yeah, I've seen it like AEU. I haven't seen it on anything really higher than that. I don't understand why with all this technology you can't have like a a flat screen TV courtside mm. or on the baseline scoreboard an app or something that you know go to a YouTube video and just play down 24 seconds. <laughs> I mean I'm sure there's iPhone, something that you stop can stop watching on the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm surprised. Uh, I mean, I'm like you, I'm surprised they didn't have that, you know, that monitor sized um like portable shot clock that they could just put on courtside. I don't know why everybody doesn't have it. I don't think it's that expensive. You know, um, it was bad. It was like a wake up for the league. It didn't deal. look good. It was it was bad um, on all fronts. And and you hope that the NBL, you know, I believe they audited all arenas in off season, from what I understand, to make sure that all these protocols were in place. Let's hope they are actually in place because this this cannot happen. Uh, it, it doesn't look good for the league. Uh, people texting me from overseas like, "What the fuck is going on?" That were watching the game, there were scouts at that game, um, so not not a good thing. But we move on. We we got the win, and then the Sydney Kings had an absolutely horrid performance last night against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Now, for those of you who might think I'm conflicted as an owner, I'm not going to get into nitty gritty details, but an unacceptable performance by the Sydney Kings. Um, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix cut Will Cummings, one of their main imports during the week for behavioural issues. Uh, more we understand off court, showing up late to shit, told him numerous times, wouldn't listen, said, see you later. But was he moved by them? Because he was a pretty efficient player, pretty efficient scorer for him. They come into Sydney kind of shorthanded and absolutely punch us in the face. Um, very disappointing game. And, you know, the Sydney Kings are probably on paper one of the most talented teams in the NBL. And it looks that way when they approach the court. Uh, it looks, looks like we're talented. We're going to win. Um, Teams are outworking us, and it's it's people have asked me, or oh, coach, it's, is it the philosophy? Is it the offense? Is it the defense? I think a lot of it's starting with the players needing to come out with they're being attacked by everybody. Um, they're getting punched first, second, third, and then we react, and we're down 13, 14, 15. I'm not going to win many games like that. A lot of work to do, a real kind of jab on the chin pro for the Sydney Kings to figure out where they want to go this season. Not the end of the world, but. It's been three or four weeks of these types of performances that have left myself, coaches, even players scratching their heads, and they need to figure it out. Um, still fourth, tied for fourth with Southeast Melbourne, and and no better time to go down to Tasmania and see Scott Roth. Well, that's this weekend, pro. Uh, Tasmania are 
the pinnacle of guys who are somewhat deemed not as talented, not as good, who just come and work their ass off. They hit you every possession. They're physical. They they stay within their structure. They're well coached, and they just grind you to death. The way we're playing going into that environment is going to be the test of the season. This this season for me, this this game is the game of the season for me. I think this is a make or break game for us to see what we're made of, what our medal is. Do we have dogs that are going to fight back or are we going to lay down and just say, I feel sorry for myself or I'm not playing well or I'm not getting shots. So big wake-up call for the Sydney Kings um, this past couple of weeks, bro. Folks, what – I mean, obviously you're the owner. You, you're own, part of the ownership group. It's it's – you know, it's a little different, but you do have a basketball background, basketball mind. If you're the coach and you sort of guys are going through those types of struggles, what what would you do? Like what or or as a player, what would you want out of your coach to be like? What's the approach? Do you do you gotta go at them hard? Do you gotta change things up as far as you know roles line up? I, again, everybody does it a little differently. What what's your take? Yeah, look, first and foremost. You know, we're under no illusions that, you know, head coach was going to come in and set the world on fire. He's a, he's a rookie NBL head coach. He's still navigating how things work. Uh, we're eight and six. He's 14 games in. So just want to put out there, very young. We're not in any pos- any position whatsoever, a conversation that we're thinking about, is this the right coach? Absolutely not. We right. picked this guy. Right. We're, we're fine with that. Um, I think there there could be a possibility for rotation changes. There's no doubt. when you When you lose games this way and you play this way, whether there's a lineup change in the starting lineup, whether there's minutes that get cut for certain guys, he's going to figure it out. He's going to he's going to have to play that game, and there's probably going to be some hurt feelings along the way. That's just the way um, things go when 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 those tough decisions are made. But we had Jalen Galloway out earlier in the season. He's come back. He was starting. Now he's coming off the bench. Does he come back into that starting lineup? DJ Hogue was out early in the season. He's come back. Hasn't played very well. He's looking to find his form. Had a lot of excuses, but. It's it's not cutting time. There, there's there's, I would probably change some rotations. Potentially look at injecting some new life in the starting five. Our starting five is very talented, but it just it seems like we roll out there, and kind of let's get a feel for how this is going to go. Oh shit, we're down fifteen. Time out, and then our coach has to kind of, you know, get into the guys a little bit and spray them. And I think with that whole thing, pro with getting after guys, I think you probably in an NBL NBA is a little bit different. In an NBL season, you probably have five good sprays you can use on your uh, on your mm. on your belt. You know, you have five bullets to use, and you have to use them strategically. If you use them, you know, there's some coaches that do use them every game, but you see their players, mm. you talk to guys in the league that they they tune that out by game three, <laughs> game four. They're just like guys mm. just will actually come together. Some the good teams will come together when they got a coach like that. Bad teams will spray even further. Um, so you got to you got to use those bullets wisely and. I think I think uh, Mood definitely used one last game, from what I understand, and rightfully so. And it's a huge wake up call. It's a huge, huge wake up call. So some concerns there, definitely. Um, we're not tracking the way we thought we would be. The good news is we're literally the halfway point of the season. Fourteenth game just passed. Fourteen more games left. As long as we're surging those last five games, that's all that matters. But can we get there? Is a big question, pro, and that's that's the hardest thing. And as an owner front office, you only have so much control. You got to kind of let things navigate themselves. I don't want to be doing the coaching. Neither do our ownership group. We're obviously a resource for our coaches at any time. But at the end of the day, it comes down to coach, the assistants, and that group of players coming together and getting their shit together. And they they know that this is not an acceptable uh, performance. If we lose games because we got outplayed 
you know, you, you play against Southeast Melbourne, Mitch Creek, you had 33. Didn't you didn't shoot it that well, but let's say we play Southeast Phoenix, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, and Mitch Creek hits seven threes, and you shake their hand, and you say, they just beat us. Like we they had one of those nights. But when you have a performance like yesterday where we were just kicked in the ass the whole night from effort plays and second chance points and you know, not locked in defensively, I can't stomach those. I can stomach losing to a better player or better team of the day. I can't stomach effort stuff. So that's where our players know that that's not 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 an acceptable way to play when you're in Sydney, and that's something that we haven't had to kind of coach. And as you've said numerous times, whenever you have to coach effort, it takes away from your coach having a coach, your coach having to put in schemes, defensive changes, oh, let's do this, oh, let's tweak this, that's a great play. All of a sudden you're like, hey, man, like, come on, you know, Rebound, box out, run run 100%, not 80. You don't want to be coaching that shit, right? And that's where we're at. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As a player, what would you what did you like to do when your team was struggling? And you had talent. Your team had talent, not not if you had a really bad team. But if you had talent, more talent than what your record reflected, how did you want your coach to sort of address that? Individual meeting, screaming, lineup changes what what was your preference as a player because i always like to hear from players of how they like you know and different players they they their mentalities are different you know so everybody's got sort of a different answer but what is your as a player what did you like to when your team was a little underperforming what did you know what did you what did you like the approach to the coach to be well, even just coaching, you know, a junior team here. Um, my whole thing is, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll have, I'll use a couple of those bullets when I need to, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, this is what we need you to do, and you're not doing it at the moment. And then, if we're two weeks in, and I'm still telling you the same thing, you're gonna come out of lineup. My only currency is playing time. I don't have a currency of, of contract. That's all GM stuff, off court stuff. As a coach, I don't have a currency of you know, your contract's going to go down or that's nothing to do with me as a coach. My currency is your minutes. I can affect team play by your minutes. So if you're not going to buy into what I need you to do, if we have too many guys that are, you know, not not getting enough touches, oh, this is not fair, that guy's shooting, this, that, there's going to be a lineup change there. And as a player, it was like, if we had moments like that, for me, it'd be, you know, just coming out and hitting someone. <laughs> like That's what I would do. Like as a player, it's like, okay, we're, so, we're a little bit soft right now. No worries. We're playing Team X. Their best player just come to the hole at the start of the game. I'm going to lay him out, put him on his ass, and then huddle up and be like, hey, let's go. Come on. Not tonight. Not tonight, guys. Come on. And that would be what I'd do as a big. Um, that's the way you do it. And then it'd be physical screens. It'd be talk on defense, that kind of stuff as a player. like You can really get engaged by talking and being physical, and they're not – overly strenuous effort things i don't think you know sitting hard screen or just talking overly talking and i think that's what that's what i would do as a player but as a coach your only currency is playing time and if you've told a player three or four times that their effort's unacceptable or we need you to do this on this play and you're not doing it sorry man you gotta come sit with me for a bit and maybe we'll work you back into the rotation as the season goes on that makes sense so we'll see how that goes big big game looking forward to seeing that one uh the illawarra hawks um have been very, very good. Very, very good the last couple of weeks. Another big win versus Perth at home. Tatum's done a fantastic job with them. They, they seem to be playing a much better style. Uh, usually after a coach is fired, you get this honeymoon period for two or three games. They're in that right now, so I want to see how they go long-term. But he's put in a little zone. It looks like a little 1-3-1 matchup zone. Um, they've changed some things up offensively. It seems like they've, they've uh, 
simplified things a little bit, and I've enjoyed seeing them play better basketball with the coaching change. Uh, Melbourne United can seem to cruise. They they look like they're going to hold on to that first spot. Tasmania cruised in New Zealand uh, to an easy victory. Adelaide has struggled. Um, they 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 got absolutely punched by Tasmania a couple of weeks ago. Lost by forty, I think it was, or thirty. Uh, poor performance that they blamed on travel, <laughs> which was interesting. Cairns beat them this week, but um, that's kind of the results. The, the the latter the latter is as I just said: Melbourne clear first, eleven and three. Tasmania second. Southeast Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth are all eight and six. Brisbane seven and eight, and then you got Cairns, Illawarra, and New Zealand and Adelaide. Other than that, the NBL has decided to follow the NBA positionless all NBA all NBL teams, which in a league of ten teams, to me doesn't make sense following suit of the NBA. But it is what it is. They're going positionless. Um, no more, no more guard, forward, center. They're just going NBL first team, top five, second team, top five, and I think there might be a third team potentially. So that's that's all interesting. Adelaide Thirty Six has fired their head coach. A couple of weeks ago, CJ Bruton was fired. I had heard leading into the firing before it was actually made public that ownership had gone, ownership of the front office had gone to CJ and dictated who they wanted him to play moving forward. I am just assuming, but I don't think that conversation would have went pretty well considering he was fired a couple of days later. <laughs> he probably said, you know, so that's not a good thing. Um there were actually some that were actually noted by Matt Logue, journalist here in Australia, that Adelaide 36ers had missed some payments for some per diem, nine weeks of payments, in fact, uh, which which Adelaide have kind of claimed that they are. Oh, we didn't know we were working through it, and then within ten minutes of the journalist making the story, those payments got made. Coincidentally, pro, so that's not pretty neither. You never want to have uh, with 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 where the NBL has been historically. These were huge issues 10, 15 years ago with owners not fronting up, paying their players and, and and running out of town without paying their bills. You don't want to get to that point. Adelaide need to lift their game a little bit because it reflects poorly on the whole league um, and every owner in the league when you have, I don't, you know, it was it was a small amount of money. I think it's $22 a day they get. Teams supply meals, but they give you an extra $22 as per the tax code here in Australia. But over nine weeks and 15, 20 staff, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's a fair bit of money in, in thousands, right? But, not that much that you should be trying to withhold this for some stupid reason, Adelaide. So just pay your bills. Um, and then finally, Mitch McCarron was caught on a hot camera, hot mic at the end of practice. Now, I don't know how hot or how he thought that camera was because from what I believe, the Adelaide 36ers let their media into practice with the last 15 minutes of every session pretty much when the media is there. And he went on to spray his players for being whiny bitches and snitching on each other and it's been lauded by some, and 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 some have said, "Well, Mitch McCarron, you're making five hundred grand a year. Your play has been pretty poor. That you need to lift your game as well." And I think there's some truth in both of those. Mitch McCarron is paid as one of their main players, and has had a horrific, not just season. I think his tenure in Adelaide has not not been great. He'd probably admit to the same thing. He's now been benched as well, um, but he did get after the boys. So it is good that someone somewhat cares. But there's other people that are like, "Hang on a second, you're the guy that had a." you know, hasn't been playing well this season, you shouldn't be talking. So that makes things uh, very interesting. But a lot going on in the world of the NBL, both good, bad, and the ugly, and we're at the halfway point and looking forward to seeing 
how the season goes. Your observations, Pro, of not following the NBL, who's going to win it this season at the midway point? <laughs> Sydney Kings, of course, folks. Why, oh, why, wow. why would I think anything different? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're confident right different. now. Give us a couple of weeks and then maybe we'll re ask you. But Scott Roth definitely yeah. got that cigar ready. Uh, and Melbourne are cruising. So I think we can put a Scott line. Roth is going to win this thing. Let's be honest. Come you on. You think? Like, that guy will wrestle you into, into wrestle any but any coach or any player into oblivion. Why mm. wouldn't he? Well, no, unfortunately, no it's not a wrestling match, bro. It's a basketball game, but go on. It's a good point. I got to watch more of it, folks. I've been watching too much Euro, not too much, but I, NBA and Euro League. So I don't really have a lot of space. But since I've, um, since we, we have an Australian podcast, I should watch a little bit more of it. So well, I promise in the next you, few weeks. Time difference gives you a bit of an excuse. But the afternoon games come on at a decent time for you. They come on in about three hours from now, usually on the, on a Sunday, um, Saturday night for you. So you can tune into that. Now on ESPN. But anyway, moving on. What do you got for us this week? Uh, fact or fake news? These are going hot, bro. These are going hot. Trent loves these, remember? So make sure these are good ones. These get, these get the interactions online, people people going at each other in the comments. That's what we want. So make sure they're good ones. Oh, wow. Nah. I... <laughs> no pressure. Trent, last week was the rankings of the players, right? Like who's better than- Chet know, Holmgren and Wemby got, got a decent one. Yeah. Mm. All right. So, Bogues, I'm going to cluster three players, three different three-player clusters, and I want you to tell me who your be better player is. All right? So I'll I'll give you mine and then we'll fact and fake news it. All right. A lot of a lot of talk about Halliburton in the in the press, you know about MVP race and and whatnot. So I I heard Bill Simmons was talking about you know ranking of players and things like that, and I got three players that we'll talk about: Devin Booker, Halliburton, and Damian Lillard. So I'm gonna say fact or fake news. Tyrese Halliburton right now, forget about the season he's having, just sort of overall. Tyrese Halliburton, you would take ha Tyrese Halliburton, doesn't matter about age, doesn't matter about salary, doesn't matter any of that. You would take Tyrese Halliburton over Devin Booker or Damian Lillard today. Fact or fake news? Well, hang on. It does matter about age because Halliburton's younger. Can, are, you just okay. saying, are, you, are you just saying clean slate just for this season? No, best player. Like, I'm starting a team tomorrow. Tyrese Halliburton is going to be my starting player, uh, my best player over Damian Lillard or Devin Booker. Oh, Halliburton, trying to do like Halliburton, positions. fact. I mean, did you say you, you chose Halliburton? You chose Halliburton? Yeah, over, yeah uh, fact, fact. Yeah. He's 23 years old. He's 23. He's having a career year. He's in the MVP race. Booker's 27. I love Booker's game, but he's, he's, got four, he's four years older and Lillard's, what, 33, isn't he? Um, yeah, you know, Lillard's 33. So I think Lillard's a clear third in this race. Absolute killer and bucket, but you might only have that for another year or two if you're starting a team today. And then it's out of Booker and Halliburton. I have to go with Halliburton just on current form. Um, he's, he's playing very, very well, and he's and he's younger. You're going to get more out of him, and he just seems like he's he's putting it together for a career year. Now, Booker, you have to give him the excuse. He's been hurt a fair bit, but he's also playing with yep. KD and some stars to take the ball off him. So I love Booker's game, but I have to go with Halliburton. Okay. I'm going to cluster three more together. Our boy Zion, all right, Zion Williamson, mm -hmm. Jaron Jackson Jr., and Paolo Boncero. Who are you taking tomorrow? I'm, so I'm going to say that Jaron Jackson Jr., I would take, you would take Jaron Jackson Jr. over Boncero 
and Zion Williamson. And Zion Williamson will be the third best player out of that crew right now today if you're choosing a player. Fact or fake news? Oh, man. So for context, Banchero is 21, Triple J is 24, and then what's Zion? So Boncero, I'll give you the stats, folks. Boncero, Mm -hmm. 27 and four and a half assists a game. Jaron Jackson Jr., 19.9. Uh, six six assists a game, 1.8. Both of those guys played 100% of their games so far. Zion Williamson has played 82% of his games, averaging 22, 6, and 5, shooting 57 from the field, 64 from the line, 33 from the three. Jaron Jackson Jr., 43% from the field, 82 from the line, 30 from the three, but an elite defender, you know, especially compared to those three. And then Boncero is averaging Boncero 49.4, 68% from the line, 40% from the three. And is Orlando's, probably Orlando's best player. So that's what, that's what you have. Fact or fake news? Yeah, Jaron Jackson Zara, Jr. Zara last, definitely agree with that, just based on games yeah. played and weight. If he was healthy in shape Zion would be a clear one but the reason why he's in this cluster is for that reason I'd assume I, I don't know mm-hmm. I think Banchero's ceiling might be higher than Triple J uh, I liked, I love Triple J's game plays both ways I think his offense has actually gotten better and probably exceeded my expectations of where he'd be mm-hmm. but this Banchero like I kind of revert back to Draymond Green's comments a couple of years ago that just said this guy is competitive as hell and just plays the right way and that just stuck in my mind as I've watched him the last couple of seasons, and it's it's true. He, he's not overly flashy, swaggy, all this kind of stuff, but the proof is in the pudding. He's we were always like, oh, well, who's who's Orlando's main star guy? It's him, and they're winning and they're playing well. Hmm. So I'm going to go fake news. I I, I have Banchero one. Uh, he's 21 years old. He's got three more years of youth than Triple J. It's a tough one on a coin fleet, but I'm going to go with Banchero. Yeah, here's here's my thing, Bogues, with that. Like, again, I don't see elite anything elite out of those three guys. I think the closest thing to an elite skill out of those three guys is look, Banchero is going to put up points. He's going to play hard, all that stuff, and that is a skill. Zion, to me, again, he overpowers you. He's not really going to shoot it great. You know, he's not going to shoot it great. He doesn't really do anything great except sort of that body, freakish body that he's got that strength and being able to, you know, finish around the basket. But I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. is a very high-level defender. I probably wouldn't say elite defender, but I would say good enough for all, you know, first-team all-defense. And that's why I put him on top. But, yeah, it's an interesting cluster of three. Uh, last cluster, Bogues. Our boy, and I would say this is the struggle cluster for sure. Not having great seasons, one because of injury, and then two other guys just sort of not finding their footing for one reason or another. Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Clay Thompson. Oh boy. I'm gonna put Clay Thompson, even though he's having probably one of the worst seasons of his career this season. But again, could be an offseason. Could be one bad season. I'm not going to write a player off, obviously. I'm going to put Clay Thompson one. I'm going to put Zach Levine two, Bradley Beal three, but I'm going to put Clay Thompson one. Fact or fake news out of that group? Oh, this is, this is, the, this is a mission impossible. It's like, yeah. 
Levine's hurt as well right now, too. He's out for a while. Um, Banged up a little bit. Now, Clay's played 95% of his games. Zach's played 78% of his games. And obviously, Bradley Beal's only played 13% of his games. Has had injury problems the last few years and really hasn't, you know, I mean, he's put up put up numbers and all, but hasn't really done much. But if I'm taking a player tomorrow or today, I'm taking Clay Thompson over Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. My reasoning is he's more, even though he's not consistent number-wise this year, he's probably at least consistent with, you know, with what he's going to give you. He's obviously an elite shooter. Um, again, even though his numbers are down this year, elite shooter, you know what you're going to get. Um, he's had some injury issues, obviously, for a couple of years with his with his stuff. But I going into a game, I could probably depend on him a little bit more than the other two. But people would probably say Bradley Beal over Clay. What are your thoughts? Are you saying Back starting to a team news. today with their injury history and their age, right? Yeah. Oh, fake news. I, I have to go Levine then based on this. I mm-hmm. mean, he's 28. He's had way less injury. Well, not way less injuries. Um, but Clay's yeah. 33. He's been begged up. He hasn't had anything major, I don't think. He's younger. I have to go with the younger man's game. I mean, Beal would probably Beal would probably be there three, four years ago. Um, Clay would yeah. be number yeah. one four or five years ago, right? So sure. Clay's coming off an Achilles and an ACL, and he's 33. Levine's mm-hmm. – Levine just I'm, – I'm going based on – strictly based on youth. 28, he's younger. Beal's been super banged up this last couple of seasons – at least this season, yes. like he just can't get healthy. And I, I know what back issues are like once they start, and that's what he reportedly has. So I'm just going based on on youth. I have to go with Levine. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on next week, Trent? What what do you what do you think I should be <laughs> leaning towards? So I, I at least I actually you know for Easter when when we do our next show when what should I get ready for, Trent? You tell me so I could at least get some get some you know get some leeway that way. Like player comparisons, you guys are talking about Shaq. Like a good one would be like, is Giannis Antetokounmpo today's version of Shaquille O'Neal? Like is he the new modern center? You wouldn't post up Shaq in today's NBA. You'd have him running up and down the floor, transition, kind of like how he was with the Magic. Like some stuff like that. Like because obviously today's game is pretty different to the 90s. Okay, how about comparing like a – so – uh, and just just sort of hypothetical, comparing an uh, older like a player from two decades ago or three decades ago versus a player today, and who would you rather? Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Or it, okay, some guys that Bogues have played with, so we can get some like on court insight in terms of like comparatively like um, who's better or not. So the people, the people will vote. Go. Pro, we'll find out. We'll find out if the clusters do well in about a week. Uh, whether we put them in the bill. I just or want not. to know when the next viral when the next viral post is coming out because <laughs> you're you've been killing it. So you know, I, I don't know job. what it is, but we have it. Oh, so, we appreciate everyone sharing sharing the clips, and um, we'd we'd love more people to just not share the clips, but actually get to to the podcast itself and listen to the long form. We have did, a lot of good stuff that we do, good and bad that we do, and we don't take ourselves too seriously, bro. So we we appreciate Bo, everyone's support. By the way, did you see? That the Phoenix Suns DJ yeah, all time was pl- was playing Steve Kerr. Did you send that to me? Somebody yes, sent that. So to good. Me. Like I, so yeah. for those who haven't seen it, jump online. We 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 backed up. Oh, I backed up Steve Kerr's rant about the music uh, a couple of weeks ago and saying that he was right because it did feel like a nightclub. Or well, the the DJ at, at the Phoenix Suns has mixed it into a house mix, 
And uh, I give it, yeah. I give it the thumbs up. It's legit. It's a, it's a legit. Oh, so he's uses yeah. Steve's whole press conference and phased it into a nice little house mix. So I love that kind of shit. That's good shit. That's good. Yeah. That's really good that banter. Good. Really good shit. Gets a thumbs up from me. Yes, that's great. All right, pro. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Happy Easter. Happy Christmas. Okay. And uh, don't rack your brain too much late at night trying to think of a new segment for next week. Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks, thanks for you know Trent for uh, giving us the intel and. I'll get going on this. I got my notebook. I got my notes and we'll go from there. It's not my laundry. It's not my uh, grocery list either. That's what you're having for dinner, don't lie, Zion. Ah, fuck. Yeah, you you got me. (laughs) Later. Later.